Hey there, <laughs> welcome to another episode of Lakeside. I'm your host, Daniel Stombaugh, and I'm glad you're here with me today. We are going to have a transformational day today. We're going to take the next few minutes and talk about our identity in Christ, that is who we are in Him and who we are to Him. And this is powerful because identity brings purpose. Let's get started. All right, and this is episode number one of our podcast, Lakeside. So just to start off with and just introduce myself, again, my name is Daniel Stombaugh, and I was raised in a Christian home. I was brought up with the privilege of having a dad and mom uh, that taught me the Bible, man. They taught me from a young age to how to serve the Lord and how to live for Jesus, and that was a blessing to me, and that was very, very good. Uh, raised in a Christian home, every service, every camp, every conference, every uh, youth activity, you name it, I was there, and I was involved with church, and that was a very, very good thing. Uh, my dad, uh, it was a pastor, and so it was a part of my life, and I learned to serve God and live for Jesus at an early age, and, and I truly loved the Lord. You know, growing up, I loved the Lord, and I was willing to jump through any hoop to please Him. And and you could just put the hoop there and tell me what it would take to make God happy with me, and I was willing to do whatever it took to do that because I wanted His approval more than anything else. Man, when it came time to graduate high school, there was no question what would please God. Uh, God didn't want any more plumbers or lawyers or or uh, coaches. You know, was what I heard growing up. And God needed pastors and missionaries and evangelists. And so, man, uh, when it came time for graduation from high school, I jumped right into ministry. I wanted to go to Bible college. I was determined to please God. And the best way I knew to win his heart and his approval uh, was to choose ministry for life's career path. And so I did that. And I got involved as a youth pastor when I graduated. And I loved that. I love working with the teenagers. I just jumped right in board with that. And then after that, God, I felt like God was stirring my heart to do more for him. And so I left the youth ministry in Illinois and I moved actually down to Alabama to become an associate pastor and worked very, very busy in that and burning the candle at both ends because honestly, I wanted approval. I wanted God's approval. I wanted the senior pastor's approval. I wanted the people's approval that I worked with. And so I got a job working in, in the church and man, I was involved with counseling, uh, uh, conference planning and, and Sunday school teaching and directing of ministry and directing of staff. And, and I loved that. But honestly, one day something phenomenal happened. In, in all of that business, something phenomenal happened. I met Jesus. <laughs> I met Jesus, man. Uh, some people meet Jesus after a lifetime of drug addiction. Uh, some people meet Jesus after from jail, and some people meet Jesus because of a, a death of a loved one or because of some traumatic event. But man, it was the road of religion, that wide road of religion, that busyness for God, that, that active busyness that it burnt me to the point where I just couldn't move any further. And I just, man, I, I fell broken. And that's when I met him. Because you know, you can know all about God and not know him. You can know all about Jesus and all the facts about God, but not truly know him as your friend. And man, I'd hear people talking about what a friend we have in Jesus, the song would say. And deep down inside in my heart, I didn't feel that way about God, man. I felt that God was this, uh, he was a divine employer, man. He was a micromanaging boss up in heaven and he was uh, way up here and I was way down here and it was constantly, look busy, Jesus is coming back, man. Uh, I was, he was gonna catch me napping or catch me uh, not not fulfilling my service to him and, and he'd be disappointed with me and whatever it took to make him happy, I 
I wanted to, and I just didn't know him. Believing in Jesus and believing on Jesus are two separate things. Man, I genuinely love God, and I spent most of my life missing something absolutely vital. You see, I believed in Calvary, but I didn't understand that Calvary believed in me. Most of us believe in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and that's emphatically true, but we struggle with the Galatians 2.20, where Paul said that he gave, he loved me and gave himself for me. We believe that God loves us, but just doesn't like us very much. What separates Christianity from any other religion is, number one, we love God, and number two, we believe God loves us. And what divides Christians is their understanding of just how much God loves us. Remember that story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son? Uh, we had the one boy that ran away from home, and he wanted to use his inheritance, and he spent it in riotous living. And then you had this one that stayed at home, the older brother. He stayed at home, and he stayed serving the father. And then do you remember what happened, man? Think back in your mind. Remember the prodigal son came to the end of himself in that pig pen. And then when he came back home, he was walking down the road, and the father saw him afar off and jumped up off the porch, ran down, and met his son, threw his arms around him. The boy tried to say, Father, I've, I've sinned, and I failed, and, and I'm just messed up, and just make me as one of your servants. And the father said, man, here's my ring. Here's my robe. And he called the, the, the staff together and said, man, the, my son was dead. He's alive now and prepare the feast for him. And do you remember the older brother? He got really upset. Um, he was insecure in his position with the father. He, he got very upset and he said, well, I've been here. I have been serving you. I have been faithful. I never went off. I never wasted anything. And I've been here with you. And the father said, man, your son, the son was lost. He was dead, man. He was lost. And now he's alive. Man, come in. Come in enjoy the party. Enjoy the relationship that's been restored. I was like that older brother, man. I didn't run off into sin. I stayed there uh, desperately serving the father and the prodigals would come in week after week after week in the drug addiction ministry. They'd come in week after week after week in the youth group. Those prodigals coming back to God and part of me was thinking the father should love me just a little bit more because of all the things that I did for him and that maybe he shouldn't love the prodigals much because of all the stuff he didn't do. And the father in Luke 15 reminded both of those boys something very, very important. You both missed the moral of the story. You missed it from the back row. You see, the father doesn't love you more because of what you do, and he doesn't love you any less because of what you don't do. The father loves you because you're his. He loves you not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. And growing up, you know, we talk about God's love in general because I believe with all my heart we fail to understand it in specifics. And what's needed more than anything in this day is for the body of Christ to understand and to walk in her identity as the accepted bride, to walk in the fact that she's spotless, she's holy, she's forgiven, she's righteous, she's redeemed, she's loved beyond measure. And by the way, you are the body of Christ. You are spotless. You are holy. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are redeemed. And you are loved beyond measure, completely accepted by the Father. The bride is you. And how we see God's love is so important because it determines just how much we give that away, how we present that to others. You can only give away what you understand that you have. I believe that's why Paul said in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, that he said this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, of whom the whole heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to his richness of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth all knowledge, that ye might be filled with all fullness of God. Paul wanted this one message to be conveyed, and that was the understanding of just how loved that the church is. Man, if you can make it through anything, if you understand how truly loved you are, how we see God's love for us determines how we present God's love to others. 
You can only truly give away what you understand that you have. We have a hard time receiving God's love because of truly embrace it. If we embrace God's love for what it is, it challenges every aspect of what we present to the relationships in our life as love. God's love will change you to your core. People are not mad at God as much as they're mad at the church, man. Oh, people react and respond to the blogs and to the broadcasts and to the periscopes. And the message that I receive from people is that they're not mad at God. They're mad at the church. They're mad at what the church has become. And honestly, the church is presenting a love that they believe that they have. And I'm going to show you what one day God showed me. Today, right now in this podcast, in the next series of podcasts, oh, I'm going to show you exactly what God showed me because what he showed me changed my life. I remember I came to a point in life where I was just broken. I was trying so hard to get God's approval and I was struggling with that. And man, I reached a point where I just cried out to God and I was asking God to give me intimacy, give me closeness, give me uh, connectivity with the relationships in my life. Intimacy just means into me see. And I was asking God for intimacy and I was asking him to change different relationships in my life to uh, to meet that need of, of that constant sucking vacuum need that I had of approval. And God just sort of said, Daniel, you're doing exactly what everyone does. You're coming to me and you're asking me to meet a need through another source. Ask me for intimacy in me. Well, how do you ask God for intimacy in him? That sounds so crazy. But I said, God, uh, Father, I need intimacy and I want that in you. Would you give me intimacy? And he gave me the book of Song of Solomon and said, I want you to read this book, eight chapters, read it, and then ask the right questions. We fail in life because we struggle with the questions that we ask. We don't ask the right questions. So I began to read the eight chapters that we're going to go through together on this 90-day journey. And as I read those, that, those eight chapters, I pushed it away and said, Okay, Father, what is, it, what is it I'm supposed to be seeing? Life is all about the questions that we ask. You see, God answered my heart cry for love and intimacy by showing me the message of Song of Solomon. The first question I ask God is, why is this book in the Bible? Why is the Song of Solomon in here? I mean, of all the books that didn't make the cut, why was this book there? Because this is like Solomon's bedroom camera. You know, why did this one make the cut? And you have the book of Jasher and Enoch and all these other books that didn't make that. And I believe with all my heart that this reason it's placed exactly where it is for this exact reason. It comes after Ecclesiastes and right before Isaiah. Ecclesiastes is man coming to the end of himself. And Isaiah is a book about instruction and correction and teaching. And when you come to the end of yourself, before God can instruct you and teach you, you have to understand your value to him. You have to understand your identity to him. Between the end of ourselves and instruction, we must understand where we stand in Christ, my identity. Identity always brings purpose always. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. That's verse number one. So we'll just jump right into that. Uh, Song of Solomon, verse chapter number one and verse number one. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Now, this is a fantastically ridiculous claim that Solomon is making. They're saying this is the greatest song that you have ever heard in your life, and this is the greatest song that you will ever hear in your life. It's the greatest song that has been written. It's the greatest song that will ever be written. What you're about to read over eight chapters is, in fact, a song, and it is the greatest one that you'll ever hear. So is that a ridiculous claim or isn't it? The claim is that this greatest song, uh, this is greater than any song he's ever written. Solomon himself wrote 1,500 songs. David, of course, he wrote the entire book of Psalms. Uh, this was written, uh, this, this sta- statement, this claim that Solomon's song is the greatest song that you'll ever hear was written between uh, before a love me tender is written before the thrill is gone or check yes or no. Any of the great songs that have ever hit the market, this song is the greatest is what he claimed. So what makes a great song great? Now, every song has three parts, okay? So three parts to every song, and it separates a good song from a great song. There are lots of songs you hear that are good, 
There's only a few that you hear that are absolutely great. I want you to think for just a minute of that song that's your song. It's you, it's your song with your, with your, um, with your spouse. What song makes that a great song? What's, what makes that a great song for you? Uh, each song has a, uh, um, a lyrics. It has the words. And then you've got the melody. Now, the lyrics of Song of Solomon is the shepherd girl and the king. That's the lyrics. The melody of Song of Solomon is the sexual content that's very, very strong. And at times, as you read through eight chapters of this song, uh, you're going to see some parts where the lyrics are really strong, and you're going to see some parts where the melody is overpowering. And if you're not careful, you'll walk away from that saying, oh, that's a good song. No, that's okay. And you're going to miss what comes in between the lyrics and the melody, and that is the message. The message of every song is what the artist intended for you to come away with as you listen to it. What did he want you to hear? What did he want you to understand about himself, about his heart that he conveyed? And so you can look at the Song of Solomon and read through that and say, well, okay, that's an interesting story about a shepherd king and a girl. And you close it and move on to more exciting parts of the Bible. And you miss the message because all you heard was a good song. You could read the Song of Solomon and hear the sexual content and go, oh, this book is, uh, this book is all about marriage. <laughs> that growing up, that's all I heard about the Song of Solomon. I never heard it preached. Uh, what I did hear was Song of Solomon is about marriage. It's about sex. And the truth is, it is about marriage. And the truth is, it does contain sex. But it is not about those at its core. Song of Solomon is about a message. And that is about the message of relationship. Between the lyrics and the melody is the message. And most people get distracted by the lyrics, the shepherd girl, or the melody. That's the sexual content. They completely miss the message. So as we get into this uh, study, man, I want you to ask God, just Spirit of God, open my eyes to the message. Would you open my eyes to the message? You see, I came to a place in life where I had gone through and burned through every relationship in my life, and I was demanding of them and expecting them to affirm me, to give me approval, to give me affirmation, to give me love, to express that to my heart. And if they didn't, man, if they didn't, I completely fell apart, and I would just get so uh, cattywampus and so out of place, you know? And I was to the point where I was burning through relationships, demanding for them to be something that they weren't. And when God showed me the Song of Solomon, what I'm about to ready to go through, this over the next 90 days with you, these next 90 little episodes here, what he showed me was something about his heart that when I saw it, I realized that these eight chapters of Song of Solomon contain every single aspect of the heart of God. It is powerful. It is packed and it is full of his love expressed to you. And when you understand God's love for you, it is going to challenge you. It is going to change you. It is going to scare you, in fact, because you're going to actually look at all the things that you, all the relationships in life you have given love to or your definition of love to, and you're going to realize that your definition was far greater than God's definition. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are are deeper and wider than our thoughts. And so you look at this, uh, you're going to see that where love combines here, where love falls, because most people love with, with one of two ways. We say, you love me, and then I'll love you. And some people are more mature than that. They say, I'll love you, and then you love me back. And God says, I don't understand that. I love you knowing that you won't love me back. I love you knowing that you're not going to serve me. I love you knowing you're not going to follow after me. I love you knowing that you're going to reject me. I love you knowing that you're going to choose other avenues and other sources to satisfy you. I love you knowing that you're going to choose other things in life and other uh, busyness in life to to identify who you are as a person. I love, I love you knowing that you're going to choose to let the title of dad identify you and be your source. I love you knowing that 
that you're going to uh, choose the title of business owner or employer or employee. I love you knowing that you're going to choose the title of pastor. I love you knowing that you're going to choose the title of a uh, church worker over myself as your source. I love you knowing all of that stuff. Romans 5 says, man, for while we are yet sinning, Christ died for us. He said, I love you knowing that you are not going to choose me as your first choice. And when you look at this kind of love, you're going to see this expressed over and over and over and over as we go through this book. Man, you're going to see this and it's going to challenge you at the way that you parent. It's going to challenge you the way that you uh, love your spouse. It's going to challenge you in the different aspects of your life. This message is huge. The world is not mad at God. They are mad at the church. They're mad at what the church has become. And honestly, it's a bride that does not know who she is. The bride walks around giving away a love that is temperamental. It's it's fixed and it's dependent on what have you done for me. The bride gives away a love that's performance-based and acceptance that's performance-based. Why? Why does she do that? Because that's what she feels like she has from God. She gives away what she understands you have. Man, you see the people walking around with the big signs that say, uh, God is mad at you or God, is, God will smite you or whatever. The signs that say God is for uh, people dying. What is that? What is that? It's people giving away an understanding of love that they feel they have. Man, if you see God is waiting to smite you, you're going to give that away. If you see yourself as forgiven by Calvary, you're going to give that away. If you see yourself as loved, not because of who you are, because of whose you are, you're going to give that away. So it's that understanding that's absolutely key. So as we jump into this, before we start the next episode, I want to challenge you uh, to take some homework with this one. Simply take this time to ask God, Spirit of God, would you open my eyes to see you? Would you open my eyes and my understanding to see your heart? Because I promise you, he has been waiting for you to say that. God has been waiting for you to say that. The day that God put this on my heart, the Song of Solomon, he was waiting for me. He said, Dan, I've been waiting for you. Man, for 33 years, I was waiting for you. Every time you went to Sunday school and sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, I was waiting for you to come to a place where you'd simply say, Father, here's my heart. Every time you were lonely, every time you were rejected, every time you were hurt, every time you gave of yourself and were taken advantage of, I was waiting for you to turn and say, Father, would you please show me your heart waiting for that and he's been waiting for you i challenge you to take a moment and say father spirit open my eyes to see your heart for what it truly is i promise you your life is going to change <laughs> so we're going to jump into podcast number two tomorrow and I invite you to jump into that and to tune in. We're going to look at the kiss. Song of Solomon, the kiss, man. He talks about this kiss. And she says, she tells him about her how powerful his kiss is. And when you see the picture, we're going to look at the lyrics, and then we're going to look at the melody, and then we're going to hit the message. And I promise you, the message is going to be phenomenal. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a fantastic day. Make sure you smile today. When you, every time you smile, you're giving away your source, and the world is hungry for your source. Your smile is the expression of God's heart, so give it away today, and I will see you back here.